Again, in our series in the book of Philippians, and today my passage is Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 through 18. I've asked Erica and my wife's small group to come up and uh, read the verse for us today. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest of my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill, the latter to do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of a selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come to you today, Lord, and we come to you um, with various people with difficulties and challenges from sickness to family tensions and trials. And no matter what it may be, Lord, I pray that we can see that you have ordained, you are sovereign over our lives, Lord. And you want to use these moments, Lord, use these moments as your divine appointments to spread the gospel, to tell others more about you. We love you, Lord, and thank you for this day. In your name, amen. John Bunyan was a Baptist pastor who wasn't aligned with the theology of the Church of England. His preaching, however, was very successful, and he got the attention of the Church of England. And they didn't quite like him, and they wanted to quiet him down. Eventually, the politicians succeeded in passing a royal legislation that made that any unlicensed minister uh, could not hold private meetings more than five people, and more, if they had more than five people in attendance. So the king had eventually stamped out the evangelical worship services. When John Bunyan was arrested, and in fact, over the course of much of his adult life, he would spend years in jail. On one occasion, a magistrate was sympathetic and wanted to release him to his wife and his children, but John Bunyan's famous statement was, if you release me today, I will preach tomorrow. Even in jail, he was beginning to preach in the courtyard, and it drew attention so much so that hundreds of people in the city would gather around the outside of the courtyard to hear him preach. Lord's Day after Lord's Day. So they wanted to silence him, so they put him in isolation in the middle of the prison. Yet there in his silence and solitude, he continued to speak louder and louder so that others could hear. In the inner recess of that prison, that's where John Bunyan wrote his famous book, The Pilgrim's Progress. He records the account of Christian as he goes from one spiritual battle and one trial to another and another. And what Bunyan would not realize is while he was in jail and in this imprisonment, that God would use the writing of this book to have a transformational impact. Pilgrim's Progress has been translated into over 200 languages, including 80 in Africa. 
It was the number two selling book up until the mid-20th century in the world. The Bible, number one. Pilgrim's Progress, number two. I'm sure if you ask Bunyan at different stages of his life, if he'd tell you that he understood it and was it worth it all. In fact, it would seem that there wasn't much progress made for the gospel while he was in jail. And during his incarceration, one of his wife, his first wife died, leaving him with four children, of one of whom was born blind. He would eventually marry again, and his wife would write in a letter to a friend that they had neither a bowl nor a spoon between them. On nearly the end of his life, did Bunyan realize the great contribution to the gospel came out of his isolation, out of his disappointment, out of his misery, that God was able to use it to impact the lives of many from generations to generations, even to the day that I'm reading The Pilgrim's Progress and my wife is at night with our kids. You see, what we need to see in Bunyan's life is sometimes we un- don't understand the setbacks are happening. We don't understand the disappointments that come, but God has a plan behind it. Pastor Stephen Davey writes, what we find here in our passage today is the need to look at life from God's perspective to arrive at an understanding that God ordains our reversals in life. And my theme for you tonight, and what I want you to get and grasp is how God can use our disappointments as his divine appointments. Right here in verse 12, we start off and he says, I want you to know brothers. You see, this phrase immediately grabs our attention because Paul's time During that time, people would often write letters with the primary purpose of informing their family and friends of their conditions and circumstances. So it was customary for people to, in their greeting, to give crucial information. So this statement, I want you to know, would have piqued their interest. Paul wanted to alert them to something that was going on in their life. He could have said, now I want to tell you something that you might find really hard to believe. Or you could have said, you're not going to automatically buy into this, so please read carefully. And as we read carefully, we see, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul could have stopped here and explained what has taken place and transpired in his life. But for our sake, he doesn't fill in the details. But tonight, I want to fill you into some of these details because you need to understand that Paul is writing in his imprisonment in Rome and what led him to this place. In Acts 21, Paul travels to Jerusalem at great risk to his own life. And sure enough, he causes a riot in the temple and he's arrested and placed in prison. In Acts 23, Paul is finally granted a trial where he's informed that 40 Jewish men have bound themselves together by an oath that they will not eat nor drink until they have killed Paul. Later in that same chapter, we're told that one of Paul's nephews finds out about the plot and reveals it to Paul. So that night, 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen surround Paul, and at dark, just after 9 p.m., they spirit him away to another city. In chapter 24 of Acts, Paul finally stands before an official who has the power to release him, but instead the official demands a bribe for Paul to be let loose. So Paul won't pay a bribe, and he will languish in prison for two years. Two years later, we're told that Paul finally stands trial before another official, and then a few days after that stands before Agrippa, 
where Paul makes his appeal to stand before Caesar, the emperor in Rome. And he's sent to Rome. Acts chapter 28, while at sea, a storm arises which eventually shipwrecks them and the boat, and they float to the island of Malta. As these water-soaked passengers huddle around a fire built by the local villagers, Paul brings himself uh, to pick up a bundle of sticks to put on the fire, and a poisonous snake bites him, literally clinging to his hand. Everyone expects Paul to die, but he doesn't. However, he leaves no doubt to the pain and discomfort from this this serpent's bite. Acts 28, Paul finally arrives in Rome, and he's placed under house arrest. After all that time and all these events, you would expect Paul to write something like this. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really worn me out. You see, I want you to know, brothers, that it had to be some other reason because this can't be part of God's plan. And Paul could have wrote, I'm not sure if God really understands how to build a church because, you know, being in prison, being locked up, that's not really going out and sharing the gospel. I don't know if God really understands what he's doing. But this is not what he says. He says that what has happened to him has actually been ordained by God and has served to advance the gospel. Paul could testify that the highest officials in the land heard the plan of salvation. Government leaders were made aware of the gospel. His disappointments were part of God's plans. God used them to spread the gospel. Look again at verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And ASB says, my circumstances would turn out for the greatest progress of the gospel. Uh, New Living Translation writes that everything that has happened to me has helped to spread the gospel. The message paraphrase says, my imprisonment here had the opposite of its intended effect. Instead of being squelched, the message has actually prospered. You see, what he could have write of, written to us is instead of his personal problems, instead of his inner turmoil, the gospel went forth. Instead of pointing out the details of his chains, he points us to focus on the freedom of the gospel proclamation. Instead of focusing on his position in prison, he wants us to focus on the product of his proclamation. And this is our challenge to us today. While it wouldn't have been wrong, sinful, it wouldn't have been inappropriate for Paul to share all those details that I did about his personal feelings, his mental state, his inner turmoil, he didn't because Paul was consumed with fulfilling God's mission. Later in verse 21, and Pastor Compton's going to do more with this next week, Paul says to live is Christ and to die is gain. He was consumed with advancing the gospel, and that's what his mind was wrapped around. He had this singular focus, and that to advance the gospel was literally to blaze a trail for gospel proclamation. This is Paul's mindset, Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. You see, what he had and what we need to have is we need to not have a small vantage point of what's going on in this life. We need to have a bigger picture of what God is doing. The events that were perceived to inhibit his freedom to spread the gospel actually were God's springboard to expanding the gospel. 
Paul didn't say in spite of these events, but rather through them. God's word went, word went forth. And this is our challenge today. Do we see life from God's perspective or our perspective? Do we see ourselves as part of God's story or is God part of our story? Do we recognize that while we live in Rome, we aren't supposed to live like Rome? We don't seek the fortune and fame, the power and prestige. We seek Christ and him crucified. Church family, we must live with this gospel mindset. God can use our setbacks. God can use our disappointments. God can use our trials. God can use our difficulties in life to advance his gospel. He can, because all through Paul's chains, the gospel is not chained at all. Although Paul is suffering, the gospel is flourishing. You can be sure that God can use your circumstances as a catalyst for the expansion of his kingdom. It was back in my freshman year of college um, that I was playing on the soccer team, and I think you may have heard this story before, but into the second semester, one of our teammates who was playing intramural basketball ended up had a, having cardiac arrest and ended up passing away, 22 years old, passing away from a heart attack. You would not think that this would be opportunity. Uh, and before, I've been trying to evangelize to my teammates, tell them about God, other things. I remember I have a teammate telling me, Lawrence, I just want to live my life right now. And then when I have my fun, then I want to focus on God. But let me enjoy it right now. I want to live the dream right now. Well, it was through this circumstance that one of my friends who works with Fellowship of Christian Athletes now he was able, he was the one that was a spearhead, and he started a Fellowship of Christian Athlete chapter at our college. And this, my first year of college, I was at a state college. It was through that that one of my friends now who's still in Missouri got to accept Christ as his Lord and Savior. Because in the midst of the suffering, what we could see, and it was, it was really hard, God used it to show me that Hey, if you really believe in this message, someone can go like this. You have to be bold, Lawrence, and share the gospel. God used this disappointment, this trial in the team to bring not just teammates, but plenty of others to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He can use anything to advance his kingdom. So what I want for the rest of our time today is I want to see how God uses our disappointments as his divine appointments. The first part I want to look at is in verse 13, how he uses it to lead unbelievers to salvation. Verse 13 says that so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. What Paul is saying is that the entire imperial guard, this would have been Caesar's secret service, had all heard the gospel. Let me tell you a little bit about them. This imperial guard or praetorian guard were stationed throughout the entire empire to squash any attempts at rebellion. They were the only military force invited into the capital of Rome, and their one objective was to protect the emperor and his imperial family. 
They were an elite troop. They were highly trained. They got a double salary of nearly $100,000 a day in our economy. Caesar Augustus had installed these troops, and he hand-selected all 9,000 of them. They would serve their term for no more than 16 years, and when they were retired, they were honored with Roman citizenship and the privileges, as well as a pension, totaling today in our economy of $1 million. They were eventually called the kingmakers in the political realm because the nominee could only go through if they had their approval and their protection. You see, in the strategy of advancing the gospel, God knew that the imperial guard were a captive audience and would be fruitful ambassador. And here's the thing with Paul. Paul was in chains 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and he was handcuffed with a short 18-inch chain to a guard. And every four, six to eight hours, the shift changed, and Paul would have a new soldier cuffed to him a new soldier attached to him. So what do you think that they talked about when Paul is chained to one of the imperial guards? Do you think they were talking about the headlines on CNN or Fox News? Do you think they were talking about the latest NFL game? Like, just use your imagine here, but I suppose that when one of the guard comes, they'll have a few minutes, a little chit-chat, and then Paul would ask him, Have you heard about the bread of life? Paul would go on to explain to them how God alone could satisfy. Next guard comes in, chains himself to Paul, a little bit of small talk. Paul would ask this guard, have you heard about the good shepherd? The one who laid down his life for the sheep. The ones that have gone astray that he comes and he seeks and saves. Another one comes in and says, Hey, Mr. Paul, how are you doing? Hi, I'm doing good. Paul talks to them. Have you heard about the light of the world? Have you heard about the way, the truth, and the life? Guard after guard comes through, and the Apostle Paul recognizes that his disappointment is actually God's divine appointment to share the gospel. And how do I know that the gospel advanced with them? Because in chapter 4 of Philippians, Paul's final greeting, he says, say hello to those who are in the house, in Caesar's household. His chains are literally the means of proclaiming Christ the King. And that word imprisonment that you see in the ESV could be uh, chains. Uh, Three times it's used in our passage. In the book of Ephesians, Paul recognizes himself as a prisoner of Christ. And also in the book of Ephesians, he says he's an ambassador in chains. Paul's chains were Christ's gains. Paul's imprisonment were the soldier's deliverance. You don't have to be in a special place for God to use you, but he can use you wherever you're at. We must not have a if-only mentality. If only I had the skill, if only I had the wisdom, if only I had the ability, if only I had the boldness like that person. No, God can use your suffering, your setbacks, your trials to push the gospel forward. God can use the betrayal of a friend. He will use your unemployment. He will use your car accident. And God will even use cancer. Back in 2006, on the eve of Pastor John Piper's cancer surgery, he wrote an article that's titled, Don't Waste Your Cancer. In this article, he details 10 key 
reasons not to waste this cancer and how he can use it for God's kingdom. I'm going to share three with you. But I'm going to apply it not just to cancer, but to disappointments. First, he says this, you will not waste your cancer or disappointments do if you do not believe God designed it for you. So you will waste your disappointments if you don't believe God designed it for you. God is sovereign. He orchestrates everything in our lives. You must recognize that the disappointment you face is part of his problems, but he has his master plan of forming you into his image and likeness, creating you to be like Jesus Christ. Don't waste your disappointments. He goes on, you'll waste your disappointments if you let it drive you into solitude instead of deepening your relationships with manifest affection. Disappointments tend to shell us up. We become introspective, become isolated. Our society is terrified by showing any signs of weakness or imperfections. But for us as the believers, we must fix our eyes on Jesus, cling to him, and find joy in him and not our circumstances. And not only will it strengthen us, it will strengthen others as well. And one thing we must do is we must live openly with our weaknesses because others want to help us and share that burden with us. Goes on, you will waste your disappointments if you fail to use it as a means to the truth and glory of Christ. Christians are never facing any situation in life by divine accident. What is unplanned can be used by God for gospel witness. Consider what Jesus says about the painful unplanned circumstances leading to gospel proclamation. Luke chapter 12, verse 21, verse 12 says this. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prison, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. You see, even in the midst of our disappointment, we can be examples to people. Um, I asked him, but he wasn't able to today. But one person that has inspired me during this time is John Mark Gutterson. He's come to the office a couple times, coming to pick up one of these. It is a battle bag that two of the ladies' small groups put together, and it's there to help people um, in cancer, just encouragement there. It includes a gospel track as well as a Bible in it. And when John Mark comes to the office, I remember a couple stories he's told me of getting to share the gospel with people that are going through cancer treatment. And the thing that he's really been encouragement to me is he says, Lawrence, they're going through a lot worse than I am. But I'm thankful I get to share the gospel with him. You see, his disappointment, his heartache, his suffering, he's using to advance the gospel. While we may be likely to get down in the dumps, John Mark sees it as this is God's opportunity where he has a captive audience because he says he's sitting in treatment with them and he gets to share with them. Do we see our disappointments like that? That we can use whatever God puts before us to tell others about his goodness and his grace and his majesty and his power? God can use our disappointments as his divine appointments to share the gospel with the lost and also to give boldness to 
believers. Look at verse 14 with me. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. The brothers and sisters in Christ in Rome were fearful and reluctant to share their faith. There was growing hostility. The Jewish leaders were intensifying their opposition and persecution, but the Roman Gentiles were also beginning to see Christianity as a threat to their agenda and also as a threat to emperor worship. Paul stated that his chains, rather than instilling fear in the believers in Rome, actually encouraged them to be bold. Look at this again. It says, the people have already become confident in the Lord through Paul's chains. And he says, most, which means the majority of the brothers and sisters in Christ, have a bold witness. They boldly declare Jesus in the midst of opposition and rejection. His life was the catalyst for this. Notice where their confidence was not in. It wasn't in Paul. No, it wasn't in their perceived vulnerability of the Praetorian Guard. Their confidence wasn't in their ability or wisdom. Their confidence was in the Lord. Later in the book of Philippians, we're told to hope in the Lord, trust in the Lord, stand firm in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord. Our motivation for gospel witness in the midst of our disappointment is the empowerment of Jesus Christ. God is with us. What can man do to us? God is always by our side. Who can stand before us? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. The Roman Christians were much more bold to speak the word without fear because they thought if God can give Paul courage to be a witness while he's in change, what can he do for me? And I don't want you to miss this principle. God works not merely in spite, but through our disappointments. God chooses what is considered foolish to shame the wise. He chooses what is powerless to shame the powerful. He chooses what is despised to bring about the redemption of the world. This is what God does. This is how God works. God is amazing in his power and his wisdom and his might. This is how God operates. What I also want you to see in the midst of trial and tragedy, how one teen girl testified to the goodness of God and spoke the gospel despite the fact that she faced devastating loss. It was worth it. It was worth it. That kind of perspective, that supernatural kind of perspective has this mentality. The gospel is above everything in my life about more than my finances, more than my family. God's gospel proclamation is the most important thing. Church family, how do we live? Do we live, do we live our lives recognizing that we have a message that we've been privileged to have? We have the opportunity here in our safety, in our comfort to hear the word of God. Are we holding it to ourselves? Are we boldly proclaiming what Jesus Christ has done? And know that even in the midst of your difficulties, God can use even those situations to spread his gospel throughout the whole world. He can do it. 
Will you let him use you? This time I've asked Alan Bush just to come and conclude and share a testimony of how God has used him in the life of others and used his disappointment and others' disappointment to testify to God and advance his kingdom. Father, I pray that you would help us, Lord, in the midst of our despair, in the midst of our disappointments, our trials, our suffering, that we wouldn't waste it, Lord, that we can see them as your divine appointments to boldly proclaim that you, Jesus, are King, Lord of everything, and you've come to save. Give us that courage, that boldness, that compassion to love others. In your name, amen. You are dismissed.